thank you for joining us today. Uh, this is a message from Pastor Russell Thomas in our series, Counterculture Church. We'd love to have you support our ministry if you've not done so yet by going online to our website, realhopecc.com backslash give. And uh, we'd love to also connect with you. You can fill out our connection card on our website as well. And we'd love to reach out and connect with you. And we hope you enjoy this message. We hope it uh, speaks to you and speaks to your heart. Good morning. Again, it is good to be together to worship. Um, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians again this morning, um, continuing as we have for um, a while in First and 2 Corinthians, the series uh, Countercultural, or Counterculture. And we're going to be seeing that more this morning in the book of 2 Corinthians. So the scriptures will be on the screen, but as always, we'd encourage you to um, turn to your own Bibles, whether that be a physical copy or electronic copy, um, to the scriptures so you can follow along. Uh, before we get into the word together this morning, we're going to be um, reciting our affirmation together, just seeking to center ourselves once again on the word and its authority, its power to speak to us. And so um, let's please recite this together. Our pursuit is by the power of the Holy Spirit to be a biblically functioning community. We will not shy away from the word of God. We will embrace it as truth no matter how painful it is to our souls or how countercultural it is to our souls. We will follow the king into eternity. So we'll be picking up in chapter 6 um, in verse 1. We'll be reading verses 1 through 13. So please follow along with me as I read. It says, Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Please pray with me. Father, we are thankful for your word. Father, we're thankful for the gift it is, the abundant treasure that it reveals who you are 
the creator, our God, it reveals you to us, and we are thankful for that. We're thankful for the grace involved in that, that we can know you, we can know what you're like, we can know your purposes for the world, and most of all, we can know your purposes to redeem the world through Christ, your Son. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would open our minds and our hearts afresh to your word, that we would see you and your salvation for who you are, Lord, and that you would accomplish all that you desire in us for your glory. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd like to start out today with a pretty simple question. And that question is, what are the first things that come into someone's mind when they think about you? Of course, you don't know other people's mind, but you can maybe think about what that would be. What comes, what are the first things that come into someone else's mind when they think about you? Is it maybe how, how wise or even unwise you are, how joyful or solemn, how successful or unsuccessful? It could be a variety of things, right? It could be so many things. Of course, to have a most accurate answer, you probably need to simply ask others that love you enough to tell you the truth. Our self-perception often doesn't match reality. Hopefully, as believers, there's some correlation. But how many of us could honestly say that our, our love, the love that we possess and that we give to others, would be one of the first things that comes to the minds of others when they think about us? Would people say that about us? Would it be their most natural response to what they think about in terms of who we are? I want to challenge us with that this morning because of this passage and where we're going uh, as Christians, we should, of course, be known by many things, but chief among them is certainly our love. Jesus told his disciples shortly before he went to the cross in John 13, 34 and 35. He said, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Last week in chapter 5 here in 2 Corinthians, we saw how Paul explained that we are first reconciled to God through Christ. And then because of that, we are given the ministry of reconciliation. We are to implore people to be reconciled to God and then to be reconciled one to another. And this week, Paul takes this message and makes it very specific and very personal. The message of reconciliation from chapter 5, it cannot be just theoretical. It must be applied. The Corinthians had been reconciled vertically with God. Now they needed to be reconciled horizontally with people. The Corinthians as a whole were not reconciled to Paul. As verse 12 says, they are restricted in their own affections toward Paul. Paul exhorts them to widen their hearts. Throughout COVID-19 and racial tensions, uh, even increased p political division, I would say, over the past many months, we've seen that our culture, but even also the church, greatly struggles to love. We struggle to reconcile with others and to truly love. If Christians as a whole are to be known by our love, we do have a ways to go. Now, I think that 
by God's grace, people do see love in us, hopefully, as the church. I think that is the case, but we have a ways to go to continue to become who God wants us to be. And I could list, of course, specific examples that I've seen on social media, unfortunately, over the past number of months, Um, not just from the wider culture, but also from Christians about a failure to love. And you've probably seen many of those examples yourself. We not only struggle to love those outside the church, we also struggle to love each other inside the church. And again, love cannot remain theoretical, but true love must actually have objects. We have to love people, specific flesh and and blood breathing people. We can't be known for love until our love has objects of, of our affection. Like the Corinthians, however, we are also restricted in our affections. What he says about them, that they are restricted in their affections, they need to widen their hearts, is also true of us. We struggle to love as we ought. At least I know that I do, and I would guess you do as well. We need to widen our hearts. And if we can't be reconciled to each other in the church, how can we proclaim a message of reconciliation to the world? We can't. So if we need to widen our hearts, like the Corinthians, what does that mean? In Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, a well-known passage, Paul prays that the Ephesians would have strength to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ that actually surpasses knowledge. So the love of God is more vast than we will ever understand. Paul's heart toward the Corinthians reflects this. As he says in verse 11, he says, our heart is wide open. But the sense in the Greek of the Corinthians love is is a narrowness or a constraint. One commentator says that the Corinthians have allowed the events of the past and and the criticisms leveled against Paul to restrict the breadth of their affection for him. So instead of Love having that breadth, as it's described in Ephesians, it's, it's restricted to a narrow place. Their affection for Paul is, is restricted and, and confined. There is maybe a love there of some sort they, they still have for Paul, but again, it's narrow and constrained. We must ask ourselves, who is our love constrained towards? Think about specific people or groups of people. Maybe a family member that you've become estranged from for different reasons. Um, maybe someone that's gossiped about you or, or made fun of you or excludes you. Again, in our politically charged culture, maybe it's members of the other political party. And again, what has caused your heart to be constrained? Think about that this morning. But as we dig into this passage, we see that the hearts of those reconciled to Christ are to be widened. They're to have that breadth that is talked about in Ephesians, to love others. And as we go through the passage, we'll see that our hearts are to be widened in four ways. First, we see that our heart is to be widened to love others by receiving grace with daily awe. There are going to be four R words as we go through, and the first of those is receiving grace. Grace with daily awe. 
reading again verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Paul begins by making it clear once again that reconciliation is from God. Because he says, Working together with him. Paul has a ministry of reconciliation only because he is united to and doing ministry on behalf of a God who reconciles. He, the Lord, is the one who reconciles us to himself and then makes us ambassadors of reconciliation. Paul's ministry is to work together with the reconciling work that God is doing. In light of this reconciling work that God does, Paul urges them not to receive the grace of God in vain. What does Paul mean here? by not receiving the grace of God in vain. Well, he can't mean that those who have truly received God's grace in salvation will fall away. Scripture is clear in many places about this. One brief example is John 6.39, which says that none of those given by the Father to the Son for salvation will be lost. So he's not talking about that. It's also unlikely that... um, that it's unlikely that he's directing or that he's directly challenging their sanctification. Because um, we know it's God's will that all those that are reconciled to Christ will be conformed to his image. That, that will happen. He will bring it to pass. It may have ups and downs. It may have steps that feel like they're backwards, but it, it will happen. We will be conformed to the image of Christ. So, For the grace of God to be received in vain here most likely means that that the favor of God given to them in reconciliation was not being extended outward toward others, especially Paul himself. There was at least a faction of the church that was outspoken in opposition of Paul still. Paul seems to be saying to them, don't play into their hands, those that were opposing him, by failing to reconcile with me. The Corinthians had made a good response to the gospel. Paul doesn't want it to be marred by them entertaining criticisms of Paul and his gospel message. So to exhort them, Paul quotes part of Isaiah 49, 8, which was also read earlier in the scripture reading. He says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Isaiah spoke this word of the Lord to call Israel to repentance and perseverance in light of the coming salvation and judgment in Christ. Paul is telling them this promised salvation has come because Christ has come. He's kind of saying like, if this was true back then, if Isaiah could use this back then, how much more true and powerful is it now that Christ has come? Therefore, don't receive his grace in vain, but act in a way that is consistent with your salvation by reconciling with me. Display your salvation by human reconciliation. That's what he's saying. Display your salvation by human reconciliation. And because Paul is exhorting them this way, it seems as though the Corinthians were not living in a daily awe of God's grace. Perhaps they were failing to remember and appropriate the basics of the gospel message. And the basics of that message, again, is that though God is infinitely holy, and though they and we are deserving of his wrath, he works in Christ to reconcile us, to bring us to himself. 
And they were to receive grace daily and be in awe of this, what has happened. But failing to do this, that hindered their relationship with Paul and others. And if we are in awe of God's grace in reconciling us to himself, it will inevitably carry over into our relationships with others. So the first application for us today is to ask ourselves, do we receive God's grace with daily awe? Does it astound and amaze us that although that we are deserving of God's wrath and eternal judgment, in love he unites us to Christ, to himself, in faith, taking our sin and giving us his righteousness. And we must remember and preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Again, it's not just for initial justification. It is for a, a life lived to God's glory, the gospel messages. While we were his enemies and deserving of his wrath, Jesus died for us. And not only to save us from his wrath, but so that everything that belongs to him would be shared with us. We are sons and daughters of the king of the universe. And as such, we are his heirs. Our hearts must be widened to love by receiving grace daily with awe. That leads us to our second point. And that is that our hearts are to be widened to love others by rejecting excuses. That's the second R. Widened to love others by rejecting excuses. Paul says in verse 3, We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. He's basically saying here, as he says later, he's saying to them, Your hard-heartedness and, willing, and unwillingness to reconcile isn't our fault. It's, it's not my fault. Now, just a brief aside here. Um, this isn't the typical way to do reconciliation, to say it's not my fault, right? <laughs> It'd be good for us to note that, because it usually is our fault. But in this case, um, Paul's, Paul's ministry had been blameless towards them, okay? So he was, he was able to say that. Um, but normally the best way to, to reconcile is to begin to take ownership for what we've done in sin towards others. And we'll, we'll get to that. But just felt like I needed to make that brief aside because a little bit different here what Paul's doing. But the issue is with their hearts. And he lists the things he does to prove this point. He isn't seeking to boast about himself by defending his ministry. He isn't seeking to exalt himself. But he wanted to nullify their accusation and force them to focus on their own hearts. The ministry of Paul and his companions is to be commended by all that he lists between verses 4 and 10 in this passage. And that first category is great endurance. His ministry and those of his companions was characterized generally by a great endurance seen through afflictions, hardships, calamities. And then more specifically, beatings, imprisonments, and riots. Other specific, those are other specific examples of great endurance. And then things that they took on voluntarily for the sake of the gospel. Labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. They voluntarily chose those for the sake of the gospel. And the second category is, is purity in this list. This purity is characterized by knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. Paul's ministry can't be characterized by disgraceful 
underhanded ways, as it says back in chapter 4, verse 2. That was not his ministry, but it had a purity to it. But although it was pure, it was not weak in any way. On the contrary, it was marked by weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. And fairly often in the New Testament, military terms are used to describe the ministry of the gospel, such as the word being the sword of the spirit, one I think that we're familiar with. And the right hand was usually in battle, was usually for offense, probably a sword in that hand. And the left hand was usually for defense, likely a shield. Um, so that's, that's what we see about Paul's ministry here. Great endurance, purity, but also power. And although we aren't all the way through this list, it's obvious to see that Paul is indeed making sure that all potential obstacles, so far as it has to do with him, are removed for reconciliation. And I, I think it can rightly be said that he is seeking to take away any and all excuses that they might have to remain unreconciled to Paul. Their hearts and ours must be widened to love by rejecting excuses. Because we are sinners, we are great at making excuses and blame shifting. I know I can be. And this is in fact seen right at the beginning of the story. Right after the fall in Genesis 3, God calls to Adam. And Adam blames Eve. God asks Eve, and she blames the serpent. I would say this is only getting progressively worse in our culture. Nothing is anybody's fault anymore. It is all somebody else's fault, right? And a good example of this, again, is, is politics. Uh, I've been receiving some, like, flyers in the mail that um, don't say anything positive about anybody, but are just, like, completely negative about this one candidate. And it's just blaming you know, everything is somebody else's fault. Well, in the early 1900s, the Times of London proposed the question, what's wrong with the world today? They proposed this question to several prominent authors, and they're expecting sophisticated replies. And because of its insightfulness, I'd like to read one of those replies from G.K. Chesterton. I want to read the entire thing. And again, the question was, what's wrong with the world today? Chesterton's essay was as follows. Dear sirs, I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. Short, profound, insightful. We are wrong. We are what is wrong with the world today. We struggle mightily to, to love and reconcile because of the sin in our own hearts. And this is what we should be most concerned with. If we truly desire reconcil reconciliation with God and for our hearts to be widened to love others, we must reject excuses to not love. Excuses that keep us from loving others won't lead to true transformation now in our own lives. And it certainly won't work when we stand before the Lord. As we read earlier in the call to worship, our God is a consuming fire. And when we stand before Him, the one who dwells in unapproachable light, will be left silent and in complete agreement with his judgment. No excuses will be uttered then and there. So we should try to limit them now as well. Paul told these same Corinthians and tells us in 1 Corinthians 8.1 that love builds up. And since that is true, that love builds up, excuses which would keep us from love tear down 
I was reflecting on this, um, I was reminded, came back to mind of an impactful quote from long ago. I worked at a camp for inner city kids, and the, um, the director of this camp, he must have said it a lot throughout the summer because it stuck with me, but he, he would say this. He would say, excuses are tools of incompetence used to build monuments of nothingness. Those who are good at excuses are seldom good at anything else. Excuses are tools of incompetence used to build monuments of nothingness. Those who are good at excuses are seldom good at anything else. This is true in general, I would say, but especially I think it has application to love as we look at this passage. Love builds and creates. So let us not be kept from the blessing of building and creating through the Spirit's work by excuses which would prevent us from reconciling, from loving. So by listing all these things, Paul is saying, you have no excuse to be unreconciled to me. You need to address your own heart before the Lord. And this is a challenge for us today. We do live in a fallen world, so we will inevitably be sinned against. The Corinthians weren't, it doesn't seem, by Paul. They weren't sinned against by him. But we will be. But the sins that we receive, they don't control our response. We control our response. And we often sinfully choose unforgiveness, bitterness, or vengeance, making excuses for it in our mind. We can say, he or she did this or that to me, so my, my feelings, my hatred, or actions are justified. We can say that. Well, no, they aren't justified. We must ask God to help us by His Spirit to reject excuses. So is there someone or a group of people that you're not reconciled to today because you're harboring excuses or because you're blame shifting? Maybe a family member, a friend, fellow church member, a neighbor, a coworker. Stop making excuses, but widen your heart by rejecting excuses. If we have been reconciled to God through Christ, we must be people of reconciliation. And what's remaining in this list leads us to the third point, the third R. Our hearts are to be widened to love by resembling Christ in life. By resembling Christ in life. Paul lists nine contrasting views of his ministry. From a worldly perspective, his ministry looks one way. From a kingdom perspective, it looks completely the opposite. His ministry is dishonorable in the world's sight, but in God's sight, it is honorable. He is subject to slander by the Corinthians' worldly perspective, but he has God's praise. They think he's an imposter because he doesn't carry these foolish letters of recommendation that are mentioned in the letter. But his ministry shows his apostleship is true. They are unknown in the world's eyes, but well known to the Lord. His ministry certainly had the look of death because he had come close to death so many times it looked sorrowful, probably pitiful. But Paul is more alive than ever and rejoiced abundantly in the gospel. Paul is poor in a material sense, but made others rich in a spiritual, eternal sense. So Paul's ministry is undeniably countercultural. And this wasn't actually the goal. His goal was to be faithful to the gospel and to be an ambassador of God's kingdom. But when we do this, the end result will, of course, or the result, of course, will be countercultural. And Paul's life and ministry 
greatly resembled that of Christ. Paul seems to not only be removing obstacles to the gospel and leaving no excuses for them, but he is also once again displaying an example for them to follow. Again, it's not only the message of the gospel that we must be true to, but it's, it's the form and the way in which that gospel message is delivered. We must be Christ-like. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus said that he came not to be served, but to serve by giving his life as a ransom for many. Living a life of service toward others is an expression of love, but it also widens our heart to love others and be reconciled to them. When God gives us the, the grace to serve others, even when we may not feel like it, even when it costs us something, even when we are estranged from someone, it can serve to widen our heart. It can soften our heart and help us to love. Love enables us to first give our lives for Christ and others, but when we resemble Christ through selfless sacrifice and service, our hearts are further widened to love others. I think about real community in this respect. I feel like normally by the end of the week or the end of those four days of, of service, um, through seeking to resemble Christ in my life by serving others, my heart then has been widened to love others. Seeking to serve others selflessly takes our focus off ourselves and puts it on the Lord and others. And God works through this to widen our hearts. So another application from the message, if you haven't signed up for a real community, do so. Um, there's still time and it. God will use you in that, but also use it, I think, to widen your hearts to love others. And then the fourth one, the fourth R, is that our hearts are to be widened to love others by revering Christ. By revering Christ. In verse 12, Paul says, You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. Again, throughout the majority of this passage, Paul has worked to make sure that any obstacles and excuses for the Corinthians were removed. So now he can say, your lack of reconciliation, your lack of love toward us is because you are restricted in your own affections. Whenever we struggle to love others, it usually has much to do with us failing to experience God's love, to really experience God's love. 1 John 4.19 says simply, We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. It goes on to say in verse 20, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Loving God and loving others are inseparable. And much more could be said about this from Scripture. But if we revere God, if we receive his love and love him, then in return, our hearts will be widened to love others and pursue reconciliation with others. The Corinthians' struggle to have affection toward Paul displayed a deeper struggle regarding their affections for God. Their lack of affection for Paul displayed a deeper struggle regarding their affections for Paul. If our affection for God is white, white hot, our affection for people cannot help but be affected. The Corinthians needed to revere and love God in a deeper, more 
transformational way. Because what we love is what controls us. What we love, we devote ourselves to. The Corinthians' struggle, and again, our struggle to reconcile and to love as well, displays that other things are competing for our deepest affections. For our hearts to be widened to love others, we must revere Christ. He must be our deepest affection. So, is Christ our deepest love today? Or is it something else? We struggle with many idols in our culture. All cultural cultures struggle with idols. In ours, I think riches, pleasure, reputation, comfort, entertainment are chief idols. But I think that all these are usually truly secondary idols that function to serve our greatest idol, which is usually self. Jesus told us in Matthew 16, 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And he also told us where your treasure is or where your love is, you could say, there your heart will be also. So if we want our hearts to be widened to love others, our affections must first be set on Christ. Then we will experience increasing freedom and ability to love others. So as we've gone through this passage, we've seen that our hearts are to be widened to love others by four R's, by receiving grace daily with awe, by rejecting excuses, by resembling Christ in life, and by revering Christ. And the really great news of the gospel is that what God requires, he provides. If he asks us to have hearts that are widened to love others through reconciliation, he will provide for what he asks. 2 Corinthians 5.17, verse from last week's passage, great one to memorize, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So let us then fix our eyes on Jesus and ask him to increasingly make himself our highest affection. John 13, 1 says that when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The end to which Jesus loved us was the cross. And yet... The grave could not hold him, so he lives today, loving those that are his own and empowering us to love by widening our hearts. He has reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation that our hearts would be widened to love and to love even those that are the most challenging for us to love. Let's pray. Father, we come to you humbled, Lord. I recognize in my my inability, my struggle to love at times in my own strength, in my own flesh. Lord, we do look to you, the God who is love, who loved us so much, he sent Jesus 
to the world to die on the cross and rise again for us. Lord, we have this amazing ministry of reconciliation in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power of it belongs not to us, but to you. Lord, help us. Lord, we ask that you would widen our hearts to love others, especially in this season, in this unique and challenging time in our world, in our culture, and even in the church. Lord, we, Lord, we do desire that others would know us to be Christians because of our love. Not a love that is defined by the world, a love that in which truth is still fully present, truth and grace. Lord, widen our hearts. Help us to see any spots of bitterness or excuses that we make to not love and to be reconciled to others. Lord, but we rejoice knowing that you are alive inside of us. We've been united to you by faith. You are alive inside of us and you're working, Lord, to help us to love, help us to trust in your strength and your power and not in ourselves. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.